0: Guys, we're going, to, uh, we're going to look to God's word now, so if you have a Bible, now would be a time to grab it. You can borrow one of our you NIV know, paperbacks in, in the, one of the boxes at the center aisle, but I'm going to invite up our guest speaker this morning, and it's someone that we all know. She's an, an in-house um, person. Normally, she's leading our worship on Sunday morning, and just in a very, very quick way of introduction, you can go ahead and start to walk up, Hannah. Um, But, you know, often we'll have guest speakers come and, and sometimes it's based on like their credentials. They've got this degree or that degree or they just come highly recommended. Hannah Calloway and her husband Gabe are people that I've been been walking closely with over the last three years and just watching them follow Jesus, serve, give, raise their family and just just trust the Lord in ways that inspire me. Uh, to trust Jesus even more in my own life. So with that said, um, guys, why don't you help me welcome Hannah Calloway.
1: Good morning, Gray City. (laughs) I'm going to sit for a couple minutes to get my bearings. I'm so honored to be here in this capacity, wearing a little bit of a different hat this morning, but I'm so honored. Uh, I forgot my glasses at home, and usually I do that on purpose, so I, I don't have to see your beautiful faces, because <laughs> you'll distract me, but I actually legitimately forgot my glasses this morning. Uh, so <laughs> if I go like this, I'm not glaring, I promise. Um, we, we love this church, my family and I, we love this church. We're so excited for what God is doing, how he's moving, how he's blessing all of us, and challenging us, and having us grow together, so I am, I feel very privileged to be here speaking with you this morning. What I'm going to talk about today is something that has been a work in my heart for a good long time now, but sometimes it takes a while to process those things, and I felt God calling me to speak about it, and so I'm going I'm to do my best um, we're going to talk through 2 Corinthians twelve, one through 10. That's the scripture this morning about grace in suffering. Don't be alarmed, though. I may take a couple seconds. I'm going to leave some space, kind of like breathing room. I'm not going to rush ahead because I, I want to make sure that I'm listening to the Spirit and how he's leading. So if I take a couple seconds, just go with it. <laughs> I'm going to pray. God, you are here this morning. You are good. You are present. Father, I ask for wisdom, as this is a difficult topic to talk about. For tenderness, Lord, and for... foresight God for gentleness as your spirit moves and let me speak with clarity what you would like to deliver and what message you would like to to bring forth and, and speak to the hearts of your children God trusting you this morning and thanking you for your your goodness to each of us, God. Amen. All right. Has any bun ever been on a diet? Yeah. <laughs> I know this is really rude right after Thanksgiving. Everyone ate a little bit too much pie. <laughs> And so, I'm asking that question, but I do know, I've, I've watched some public speakers before, I've listened to some podcasts, some pretty awesome people up here, and I've kind of got the feeling that a good public speaker at least once uses an acronym. <laughs> so, because those are really cool to do, I'm just gonna get this out of the way. Did I eat that? That has really nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but (laughs) I wanted to say it so I could be cool, but really, uh, my girlfriend does this Whole30 thing every September. She asks me to do it with her, and I graciously say no, because that sounds horrible. (laughs) And just to clarify, a diet is just what you put in your body. You can do like South Beach or Adkins or whatever. I'm just talking about, have you ever taken something out of your diet to see how it would affect something? Okay. I went to an naturopath about eight years ago to try and figure out what the heck was going on with my body. And uh, she put me on this diet for a month this lady had me cut out sugar, gluten, caffeine, and like five other main ingredients that basically define every potlucking-raised conservative Baptist everywhere. (laughs) And it was an abomination, it was horrible. It was horrible. So if you've cut something out of your diet before, the first three days, if you're being really intentional about it and it's something big like sugar or caffeine, The first three days are really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's when you really want that thing the most, and your body is going through withdrawals. So it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? It's tough. So I did this for a whole month. And at the end of the month, I, I could not believe how much clearer my mind was. I couldn't believe how much more energy I had or how much I how better I slept. It was just crazy, just taking some things out that really made me function at a higher capacity. Um, I felt stronger, I felt more motivated, I didn't feel lethargic, that kind of thing. Uh, it really made me realize how much my body was addicted to processed foods, how much it, it relied on sugar and caffeine to get me through. Which on its own, don't get me wrong, those things are great. Those things are awesome. And there's a time and a place for them. I'm never going to give up coffee. I love it. Unless God asks me to, but I don't hear that in my life. I got three little babies at home, and my husband and I go to bed at night knowing that we can get up in the morning and drink coffee. So I feel you. It's a good thing, but just stay with me here. Uh, It made me also wonder... If we're going to take this one step further, how, let's see, how long I had functioned um, thinking I was functioning at my best, at, in a subpar state. When my mind was just here where it could have been here. My energy level, level was here where it could have been here. I didn't know how much better it could be. Because I was just so used to what I was doing. The habits I had formed. If we're going to take it one step further. What do you think happens to a mind. When it consumes the same processed half-truths. Half-truth thoughts. Over and over again. What message does it send to the heart? And what action flows out of that thought process. We're going to talk about 2 Corinthians today. We're going to talk about pain. And I'm hoping to do my best to move through the scriptures and let the Lord speak. But the thing that has been on my heart for a good long time now is I see a severe malnutrition in my own heart, and I think in, in, in our family members, and I'm not pinpointing anybody, but as a society, I think we've been malnutritioned, malnourished. Thank you. And we're not even aware of it. We've been so used to and acclimated to the culture we're in that we think we're functioning at our best, and we're not. I don't want to be dramatic about this, but I do want to think seriously because I think it deserves more thought than just something passing or flippant. If you have your Bible, let's turn together, if I can find mine. I've had this since like I graduated high school, so there's tons of notes in here. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. It also is on the screen. It is doubtless less profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it it is not lawful for a man to utter of such a one I will boast yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities for though I, was, I might desire to boast I will not be a fool for I will speak the truth but I remain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." If you've been around the Bible at all, you've probably heard this verse before. The thorn in the flesh is something we do talk about. Some would argue that this is a physical thorn in the flesh for Paul, a blindness or an ailment due to um, suffering, imprisonment, stonings, things that have happened to him on his journey spreading the gospel. Physical suffering is a very real, very painful thing. I know that all of us, to some extent, have been affected by it, and I am in no way minimalizing this. I've actually walked my whole life watching someone very, very close to me beaten down and crippled by disease. So I do not want to make light of this. It's hard. That is a thorn in the flesh for sure. What I want to talk about is what I believe is is as crippling as a physical suffering. It's just more sneaky. I'm a pretty straightforward person, so this is how I will probably speak to you. Uh, my, my friends, my loving friends call me intense, so... Just know that whatever I'm saying, it's if I'm speaking with intensity, it's because I care so much about this family and what God has called us to and what he has freed us from. And I love us so much, I don't want us to walk in that kind of suffering or pain. I just speak plainly, so. I want to focus on three things this morning. I want to talk about Fear. I want to talk about control, and then I want to talk about Jesus. In verse 7, it talks about the thorn in the flesh, right? This messenger of Satan. Other translations is a, a message from Satan. How I read this is words from the devil, This could be whispers. This could be jokes. This could be passive aggressive. This could feel like rejection. I don't think any of us is is immune to that. From the time we are cognizant of what is going around around us, understanding feelings, interacting with people, we are going to experience this. Most of my life was spent here. Not by just one person. But it was a painful place to be. And put in those types of circumstances and, and put with, in relationship with people and things, media, Instagram, Instagram, Family, you, you name it. They were impression on me. Those were thoughts that started to seep in and sink into my life. The whispers of you're not good enough. The whispers of you're not wanted. The idea that I wasn't loved for who I was or I was too much or too loud or to whatever, fill in the blank. Those thoughts were whispered into my life. Those words were whispered into my life. And it kind of stole some life from me. In fear, in, in place of a vibrant or a confident action or boldness, fear was replaced. Worry, anxiety was was put in its place. I think we have become afraid of who we were created to be, and be, because the world is a broken place that breathes its own destructive air. So many times in the last couple weeks as I prepared for this, I was just struck with paralyzing fear. I was afraid it wasn't going to make sense. One of the biggest insecurities for me is that someone will think I'm stupid. And that fear is, is it can be overwhelming at times. Here's what I know after wrestling with this is that God makes no mistakes in who he created and that who he, who he calls, he equips, okay? So each time that fear would come on me and kind of try and grab my heart, I would call it out because I know now that it's not true. But at one point in my life, I functioned under that premise of fear, and my whole life functioned under that premise of these lies. Okay? Fear is a message from Satan. Just so you know, God does not govern in fear. Okay? His kingdom does not run on fear. These are things Satan does not want us to know. He tricks us. He twists truth to make it form into a nice little package of what he wants and presents it to us. Okay? God's banner over his children is love. That is his kingdom. That is what he governs with. So if panic attacks you in the middle of the night, if anxiety wakes you up, if fear grips you, makes a mockery of who you are, that is not from the Lord. If your past is brought up to haunt you, that is not from the Lord. Okay? Thank you, Lynn. I love it when you do that. I know. I want to take us to Genesis. Genesis 3... 4 through 7. I'm going to move on to control. Sorry, I'm going to start at the beginning of the verse cuz I think this is important. This is what Satan this is a tactic Satan uses, all right? He moves from fear to control. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the tree, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit in the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's first, he first speaks fear. He spins it to sound like truth. And then what do we do? We grab it and we try and control. When we are afraid, we hide. That, that moves on to, to saying, what, what, what do they do in the garden? They go and sew fig leaves together. They see they're naked and they go and sew fig leaves together. They're like, oh, shoot. Didn't know that. I didn't know this was going on, okay. <laughs> control it. All right, so when we are afraid, we hide, we cover, and then we control. Satan said, you will be like God. You can have the control. You can rule your own life. About eight months ago, I started going to Counseling. And I, I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm in a good place. And I just want to say this for all of you who are in a good place. You don't have to be in a bad place to go to counseling. In fact, I think everyone should be. It's a good place to go process feelings and thoughts. It's beautiful. I was in good place about eight months ago. Probably one of the healthiest I've been. But even in that place when my mind was a bit clearer because I wasn't running on fear... And digesting half-truths and actually really devoting mental space in my heart to worshiping Jesus. I started seeing areas of my life that I was holding on to in a chaos-controlled way. And I didn't like it. The beautiful thing about walking in the Spirit and knowing Jesus... And the gospel is, he's going to gently show you places and ways that you can be better and grow and love him more and worship him, all right? So, so our creator, we, we, he's he the creator, we're the created. Our, our purpose is to worship, all right? You cannot have two gods. You cannot serve God and serve yourself, it, it doesn't happen. And so when I found myself trying to control situations and to control my children and to control the way things were going or my money or my time or my business, these things were consuming me. And the control I thought I had was controlling me and it was actually driving me out of control. So I, I texted my husband and I said, I need help. I don't know what to do something something to the extent of do it for me <laughs> or something i was at a place where i could be so honest to ask for help and so vulnerable and that doesn't happen very often and i i praise the lord for that so he found me this exceptional woman she knows she's doing a great job because every time i go i tell her i don't want to be there <laughs> she probably feels very valuable valued But I started to recognize that some of the control I was feeling was masked because of a fear I still had. And there were still parts of me that needed fixing and love and light to be poured into my heart. I'll probably say this again. But this is not a message about you fixing yourself. Hopefully we'll get there. Hopefully you already know that. There are many things you can do and many things I believe in that are, that are helpful and God-given. Medication is a beautiful thing. Counseling is a beautiful thing. It's good, it's healthy. Relationship is a, is a beautiful thing, but no one knows us like the one who created us. No one knows our potential like the one who gave us that in the first place. So there's no one thing you can do to fix this. This is not a self-help talk. I wanna make that clear. This cycle of fear and control, fear and control is so vicious. It's oppressive. This is suffering. And I understand that it feels weird to think about it that way. At least it does for me because I'm the kind of woman who wants to pull herself up by her bootstraps. I don't want to show weakness. I want to fix it before I bring it to you. I want it to be perfect. But this kind of suffering, emotional suffering, will come out in physical ways it has to it's a, an expression of what you think about yourself when i was younger emotional suffering came out in a physical way through an eating disorder when i was single it came out in bad relationships The hardest part of that is most of the time I thought this was stuff that I I did to myself, so I deserved it, and it it made that cycle go again and again. Whether it's something that you have done to yourself, a choice you have made, or it's it's been a lie that you've believed from someone who you trusted, or there's abuse, the trauma and the pain that you have gone, to, gone through is still valid. That is your suffering, that is your pain. No one can discount that. Don't try and justify it or, or compare it to somebody else's because it's your own. And if you do that, you're just stuffing feelings. You're not processing through them. You're not processing through the, the heartbreak of it all. You're just stuffing. And we function in that world because we don't want to show any weakness. We don't want to show anybody the ugly parts. We don't actually want to deal with it either from being completely honest. It'd be easier to stuff. But I heard this once. The opposite of love is not hate. It's complacency. This is what Satan wants from us. He wants complacent people who don't move to action because they're stuck in a cycle. They're stuck in fear. That we're too small, we don't matter. What we have to give is not enough. He doesn't want us to operate in the idea that we have been given the power of Jesus Christ. He does not want us to think about being heirs, adopted sons and daughters God has prepared a feast for us and because Satan has spoon fed us fear he seasoned it with truth and he's watched us as the lies slowly paralyze us God has made a feast for us, but we are eating the scraps. We don't think we're able to sit at the table until we've brought him our best, which, guys, will never be good enough. Okay. So, worship is kind of a big deal for me. I don't know if you know this. It's kind of my job. I love it. But something I've had to wrap my mind around and think about was worship being more than music. Because worship is your whole entire life. What we just talked about a little bit before, you cannot serve two gods. You're going to serve... Your creator, Or are you going to serve yourself? It's what you listen to. It's the food you eat. It's who you surround yourself with. It's what you watch. It's what you spend your time on. Your money on. Go look at your bank account. And you will find what you spend time and money on. You will find who you worship. Okay? If you're not worshiping God... That's breaking relationship with Him. You're worshiping yourself. So, here's what I struggle with. And if I'm struggling with it, I just want to be real because we're a family here. I can't be the only one who struggles with it. How can I worship with all that I am if I leave parts out? How can you function in the fullness of God and what he wants for you if you're leaving parts out cuz they're ugly or they're not good enough in your mind or they don't really matter that much? How do I embrace how I was uniquely made to worship when I let lies rule my life? Who is truly ruling my life when I let control, when I keep controlling the situation? These are things that I wrestle with. The truth is, when I bring my exposed heart with all of its fear and all of its junk and I lay it at his feet, that is undeniable worship. That is powerful. He is so glorified in that act of worship. That the, act, that, the, that the consequence of the act is Christ glorified in us. When I give him my pain and I ask, and I ask, uh, let's see, what am, I, what am I saying here? When I give him my pain and I ask him what he thinks about the lies, when I share that with him, I see his heart more. I learn from my father more. I learn about his love more. When you go to your father and you show him your dreams, your pain, he will never laugh at you. He will not mock you. There is no passive aggressive nature about our father in heaven. Okay? He will not call them stupid or that they don't make sense. He says to me, daughter, I know those dreams. I created them for you. And the things you think you can do are so small compared to what I want to do in you and through you. You are beautiful. I am validating those dreams, those passions. I do not reject you. Maybe somebody in your past has rejected you. Maybe somebody told you you were stupid or small or that you were insignificant, you didn't matter. God says, I will not reject you, but I will reject those lies. This is what, he'll take this word, this gospel, and he will say, this is what I, this is what I know About your worth. This is what I say about your worth. We are created so beautifully and wonderfully. We are created to be powerful in the name of Jesus. Not of our own will, but in the name of Jesus. Let's turn back a couple pages in 2 Corinthians I think this is important. I think when it comes to fear, when it comes to taking action against lies that have been spoken into your heart, changing changing your thought process, because let's be honest, our thoughts will move into action, and those actions will create patterns in our life. All right? Second Corinthians 10: 1 through six. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. That is hard work. That's so hard, especially if you're not even sure where the thoughts are coming from or what the thoughts are. Remember, have you ever had an argument? You're like, I don't even know what we're fighting about. It's kind of crazy, but every thought captive. Run it against scripture. What are these things that you're believing? What are these movies you're watching? What are these books you're reading? These podcasts you're listening to? What are you Googling? <sighs> Run it against scripture. Get to know your father. Get to know his heart. This is not easy to do. This is not one time and you're done, okay? It is so much easier to be complacent, to lay on the couch, to scroll on Netflix. You want to watch another episode? Yep. Okay? This is not easy to do. Every thought captive must be a priority. It must be practiced. It must be a new habit. Remember that diet I went on with the naturopath? My body was clean and free and healthy and I was functioning so great, sleeping so awesome, and I slowly started putting sugar, caffeine, gluten, all those things, slowly, just a little bit at a time, a little ice cream here, or a little bit of that there, and back in my diet. Again, those things are beautiful and wonderful, and I'm not knocking them. But it started to send me back to my old pattern of eating. Pretty soon I was back to feeling lethargic, not sleeping well, unhappy. Back to the same old comforting suffering. It's what we know. These are habits that we have formed since childhood. These are ways of thinking we know since birth. Taking every thought captive. It will change how you function in your life. It will change the, the way you see other people, the way you handle your time, the way you handle your money, the way you give of yourself. I don't want to go to Ecclesia this week. I'm tired. Or traffic was bad. Go to Ecclesia. I promise you. Meet with somebody. Go take coffee with a girlfriend. Unfollow those people on Instagram. Actually, get off Instagram all together for a week and see how that feels. (laughs) Give. How does that feel to change your giving patterns? To go without two coffees a week or five coffees a week. See how that feels for a week. When you are going to take every thought captive and give it to Christ, your relationship with Him will grow. And again, like I said, He's never going to mock you or bring up your past to haunt you. He will make a way for healing to come in, and love and light to come in those places that are dark and hard and cold. He is safe. The first time I ever experienced grace and suffering was on November 18th, 2013, at 3:55 a.m. That early morning, I held the most powerful example of God's goodness in my arms. I never wanted children, not because I didn't love them, not because I didn't think they were cute and stinky (laughs) and loud. I was terrified of labor, absolutely terrified. These fears in my life that told me I wasn't good enough, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't capable enough, those fears were paralyzing me. And what if those fears were true, you know? That's in the back of your mind, I promise you. I I know it's true. Those lies are in the back of your head because they're, what, they're like half-truths. Maybe once in a while you weren't strong enough. Once in a while you did fail, right? So those fears are in the back of my mind. If I fail at this, I am going to be a failure. That is my identity. I will take that and I will be that. I was terrified of labor, Also, I didn't know how I was going to feel during that process. So there's that control piece, right? It's a vicious cycle, fear and control. What changed for me was love. I gave those fears to Jesus. Instead of piling on shame, he embraced my fear and myself to him and he held me there. And something that you experience when you're in the presence of Jesus is peace. That peace surpassed my understanding, my physical understanding of what was possible. That peace surpassed my fears. Not that I didn't feel the fear, but that I walked in faith despite of it. It was my the first time in my life that I was ever fully exposed. And I mean that in all <laughs> senses of the word. It was the first time I was fully raw and vulnerable, really with anybody, honestly, honestly in my life, at 23 years old. most in tune with the spirit I've ever been in my entire life. It was so powerful. That act for me was an act of worship, of, of giving my, putting myself aside and being fully present in the power and in, in, in the faith of what Jesus was going to do in my life. Satan is trying to talk you out of your potential, of God's potential for your life. He will remind you of your past. He'll feed you lies and lay traps to snare you because he is intimidated by your future. You cannot change what has happened to you and the things that have been done to you or you've done in your past. What Satan wants to do is continue this cycle of pain, fear, and control. Only God can change your future. And what a beautiful future it is! This is hope if it were up to me, and if I were worshiping myself, I would be continually in a, in a cycle of fear and control. So this last Tuesday, I was in staff meeting processing this message with you. I love our staff. I love this church so much. They were so gracious. <laughs> As they kind of blurted out my ideas and thoughts. And let me tell you, this is not easy. Simon and I Talk to you on the phone. I don't know how you do this week after week. This is hard stuff. We have an awesome pastor, y'all. He's so good, and he's gracious, and he's patient, and he's very trusting. But he posed this question to me, and and I want us to wrestle with it, too. Because this type of a thing, emotional suffering, emotional pain, the world we live in, we want to fix it. We want to be the winners. We want to rule How does God win? How does Jesus win? Like I said, this is not a self-help talk. I think there are tools and ways that we can um, get in better habits, okay? The thorn in the flesh. I think I will probably always struggle with anxiety. That's my thorn. It'll rise up in the middle of the night, won't be able to sleep for hours. It'll grip me in the middle of the week, send me to bed. I can't function. That will probably be my thorn for my life. You will have yours. When I worship in this vulnerable state, when my anxiety grips me, or when fear haunts me, or when pain and disease cripple my body, when I am exposed and I am broken, when I take this pain to the cross and I cry out for my Savior, who knows me, I say it's too much for me. When I am weak, then I am strong. His love will seep into those rejected parts that we shut out we don't want to deal with. His love will loosen our grip on the control we struggle to keep. His love will conquer those fears that hold us back from experiencing all that he has created us to be. There's no other God like that. There's no other kingdom like that. There's no other kingdom that functions this way. Okay? There is no other army that chooses love as its weapon to break down strongholds. There is no other economy that looks at debt and then looks at the cross and says forgiven. Unconditional. It cost it cost God everything. It cost him his son. But we were invaluable to him. What's that last part? That last slide here. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are listening to Grace City Portland.